Uh, Just to catch you up, last week we started a new sermon series called, well, simply just uh, Gather, Go, and Grow. Uh, And uh, what this is about is a little bit of a DNA thing about what our church is about. Uh, And so I don't have time to recap everything, but last week we talked about uh, why we gather, why why it's important for us to even gather here on a Sunday morning. Why do you show up to church uh, every Sunday, or for some of you, one Sunday a month, uh, but we welcome you. But why do we do that? And so uh, I don't have time again to uh, reiterate everything we talked about. I encourage you to go online and and listen. So uh, because each and every one of these sermons uh, are uh, based off of the the past week. And so last week we talked about some pillars uh, that we seek to pursue. And one of those is worship. We gather because we want to worship together, meet with God uh, collectively, uh, and corporately. Uh, then we pursue community, what it looks like to be together, to do life with one another. We pursue generosity. Uh, we are a church that exists in order to serve others. Uh, and lastly, one of our pillars uh, is we seek justice. We, we seek the heart of God, and, and not just the heart of God, but the aspects of what uh, breaks the heart of God, uh, and, and we want to be a community that addresses and speaks to that. So uh, that's why we gather. Again, listen to that online. Uh, but, but this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of growth, that, that yes, we as a church, we seek to gather uh, and to be a church that exists for others, uh, but, but that's only a, a part of the puzzle. Uh, a holistic understanding of our faith is, yes, that, that we are called to love and to serve others, but we're also called in, in to love God with our devotions. And, and so my hope is uh, this morning uh, we will talk about what it looks like to, to grow and to cultivate our, our faith, our personal devotion uh, to Christ, and, and that is what sustains us. And so let me just say this, many of us, we gather here uh, in the midst of our own brokenness, in our hurt, in our pains, in our frustrations, uh, and just being overwhelmed with life. And so I really believe that as we cultivate and engage our faith, uh, that our faith addresses and informs us on how to live and how to be during those seasons of life. Uh, and I am committed to share with you that growth in our faith and our devotion to Christ will be what sustains us even in those seasons. And so uh, with that said, let me just pray in, in our text this morning comes from Hebrews uh, chapter 5. I'll have it on the screen, or uh, you can go uh, with me to chapter 5. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much that, yes, you have called us to love our neighbors. And, yes, you have called us to love you. Uh, and we do that by devoting our lives to you, by learning more about you, by, by creating intimacy with you so we can know you deeper and better in order for us to, to live as the way that you've created us to live. God, we, we come before you and we plead to you. We, we pray on behalf of what's happening in this world, particularly in the Carolinas and in the southeast coastal region with the hurricanes and the flooding and the loss, not just of lives, but of property and of, of things. God, would you just 
Ah, we just be there in the midst of what's happening there in the chaos and the confusion. God, because we come before you and we don't even know the words to pray. But God, you know the, the depths of our souls and the desire uh, that we have for you to intervene in what's happening there. God, we pray for the things that we see in the news regarding injustices, particularly around racial injustice that we see with innocent lives that are being lost. Families that are being broken up. God, would you again uh, reveal to us your beauty and what you desire for reconciliation and for our world? God, just a few days ago, we celebrated and honor an important day in our country on the 11th. Would you be with the families that are still grieving and people that are mourning loss? And God, may the people that have sacrificed their own bodies to serve their community, may they be honored and may their lives be celebrated. And we are so thankful the men and women who have stepped up, sacrificed their own lives on behalf of their brother and their sister. In your name we pray. Amen. So our verse this morning comes to us from, again, Hebrews chapter 5. And you can read along with me, or again, you can read in your own Bible, but it says this. Uh, first of all, we don't know who the writer is. We, we don't know. Uh, what I would say, though, is that we know for sure it wasn't Paul, just because of the syntax and the language. Uh, it, it wasn't Paul. But whoever it is, the writer says this. About this, we have much to say that is hard to explain. Since we have become uh, dull in our understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, uh, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic elements of God, of the oracles, of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is, uh, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose uh, faculties have been trained by the practice to distinguish good from evil. I want to start off by sharing this story that, that I've shared many times before, but I really do believe it, uh, that it talks about uh, the reality of how many Christians are today. And the story goes something like this. Uh, back in the early uh, 19th century, uh, there were some missionaries from, uh, from Britain. And, and these missionaries went to this tribal village uh, in, in Nigeria uh, to evangelize. Uh, to share the good news of the gospel to this uh, tribe, again, in Nigeria. And, and uh, after some time, what they, what they found out is, or what they wanted to teach is, uh, the missionary said, look, if you commit your life to Jesus, then you will have eternal life. Then you will go to heaven uh, after you die. And so ultimately they said, as long as you pray this, uh, and many of us heard of this, this sinner's prayer, God, come into my, my heart, uh, and I believe in you. And, and, and many of us that came to our faith, we've prayed a prayer similar to that. I know that I have several times over uh, when I was uh, in middle school, in middle school camp. 
And these missionaries said, as long as you pray the sinner's prayer, then you are a Christian, then you will go to heaven, uh, then everything is all good. And so many at this point uh, actually disavowed their tribal affiliation and their pagan gods. And they said the sinner's prayer just as the missionaries told them to do, so therefore their life would change. And so after all these people were converted, uh, these missionaries went back to Britain, to England, uh, and, and sometime later, these missionaries heard news that back in that tribal village in Nigeria, uh, the murder rate started uh, hiking, started escalating within this tribe that they were once missionaries to. And, and so these missionaries went back to uh, this tribe in Nigeria, went to the tribal leaders uh, and asked what is going on? What is going on with so many deaths? Not just deaths, but deaths that were caused by somebody else. And, and these tribal leaders explained to these uh, missionaries saying, well, you know, when you came to uh, our tribe and you asked everyone to be converted to Christianity, uh, we did the same. And their explanation was, for those that did not convert to Christianity, they just killed them. They killed them. They, they uh, were passed the baton to evangelize from the missionaries to their tribe. And, and what happened was, for those that didn't disavow their tribal affiliation, their, their gods, their beliefs, their culture, these leaders, these recent converts, would kill the, mission, uh, the people that refused to convert. Now, this is a bit of an extreme uh, situation, but they believe, these tribal leaders that kill people for not being converted to Christianity, they believe, like many of us do, uh, that once you say a particular prayer, you're in. Whether you're a Christian or, or you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're not a Christian at all. And again, if you're here, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking a chance on us. But you have probably also heard this same explanation of the faith, that once you have converted to Christianity, then life is good, then you're in, you're going to go to heaven, don't have to worry about anything else. It's a free ticket to heaven. And, and the reality is that oftentimes we view the Christian faith, and this is the problem for a lot of us, uh, for those of even that's been in the faith for a long time, that oftentimes we view the Christian faith as a means to an end rather than an invitation to, to a journey. Oftentimes, we view the Christian faith as a means to an end, that, okay, once I've said this prayer, then I'm in. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to change my life. I can go back to work. I can live my, uh, the life that I've always lived. I can continue in my habits, the way I treat people, my addictions, my hurt, whatever it is. I can continue that because I said the prayer. We view the Christian faith as a means to an end rather than an invitation to a journey. And all over the scriptures, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, we are called not to view our faith as a means to an end, but this journey, this journey where we continue to grow in our faith, in our understanding, in our love, in our, in our devotion to Christ. 
to mature, to cultivate that relationship really like you would cultivate any other relationship. Can you imagine a relationship that you have, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family member, or whatever it is, if the moment you got to meet, maybe you've even introduced each other, and you stop talking, And somehow you're confused as to why this relationship has not morphed or evolved into something more intimate and greater. We would obviously know it's because there was no connection. There was no cultivation of the relationship. I mean, can you imagine, uh, we'll use marriage as an example, where you'd go to the altar and you say your vows and you say, I do, and you say, okay, because we said I do, that's it. We don't have to do anything else. And you go on living your life. Not talking, not dating, not learning about each other, not affirming one another, not keeping each other accountable. Can you imagine what kind of marriage that would be? And to be honest, maybe some of you know that is the reality of your relationships. And so often this seeps into our relationship with God that we lack to grow and to cultivate it. And for some reason, uh, we are confused uh, and we wonder why we don't feel a closeness with this God who says that God will never leave us nor abandon us. And so it's no reason this writer, and even all throughout, especially the New Testament, where it talks about your faith should be something that needs intentionality that takes work, that takes cultivating like a garden. And, and what's happening in, in, in Hebrews, again, we don't know who the writer is, uh, but we do know the audience. The audience uh, during this time was, uh, were the Jews, hence the letter to the Hebrews. And, and what was happening was that these recent Jewish converts to Christianity were being persecuted by other Jews and, and, and other uh, Uh, religions because they started to adhere and subscribe to a new faith called at the time the way, the way of Jesus. And and so out of fear of persecution, uh, what happened were these recent converts to Christianity, they decided to either stop learning about Christ, they decided to either go back to their old ways they decided that the voices of others were more important, so they, they stopped learning and growing and, and asking questions and going to the church and, and listening to religious leaders and teachers. They stopped all of that. They stopped reading the Torah. They stopped reading the documents. They stopped reading everything because they were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of what people would say. They just stopped. And, and though we're not... Uh, experience, many of us at least, we're not experiencing that kind of persecution. We do the same thing. We get uh, complacent. We get distracted. Or, or, or I mean, especially in our lives today, we all live, believe me, whether you are a full-time employee, whether you're a full-time stay-at-home mom or dad, whether you're retired, we are all busy and we have something always to do. That's just the kind of culture and society that we live in. We've kind of done that to ourselves. And so therefore, we look at uh, our relationship with God and we say, man, this is something we just don't have time for. I have everything else to worry about. And we abandoned it. We don't spend time on it. 
And in Hebrews, it talks about this idea of maturity, and even Paul, all throughout the New Testament, talks about maturity, uh, and this word maturity is translated in the original language, uh, it's this word teleos. And in this word teleos, uh, it, what it means, and if you, for those of you that are kind of need to nerd out a little bit, there it is, that's the Greek. Uh, and the word teleos ultimately means uh, something to bring to completion. Something to bring to completion. So, so the calling of the writer of Hebrews to the Jewish people that have left the faith, that have been complacent in the faith, that is no longer cultivating their relationship with God, says, you need to mature. Don't be like a, an adult drinking milk. Can you, you know, back then, like, can you imagine, like, you were an adult and you're still on baby food? That's the metaphor that this writer is saying. Your lack of maturity, your lack of growth in your faith and understanding and pursuing Christ, the writer is saying, it, it reminds me of like an adult eating baby food. And he's saying, you guys, there's nothing better. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more superior than Jesus. Than to know Jesus. And, and there's different words uh, in the New Testament about to know, but, but when Paul and, and other writers write about knowing Jesus, this is Greek word gnosis, uh, and, there's, and there's other words to know, but the word gnosis, to know Christ specifically, the word gnosis is about intimacy. It's about intimately not having information about something, because a lot of us, we have a lot of information uh, about Jesus in the Bible, right? A lot of us, we can nerd out the Greek, Old Testament, first century, second temple, whatever. We can talk all about that. But the question that Paul and this writer of Hebrews would ask is, sure, you have all the information, but do you, do you gnosis? Do you know the resurrected Christ? And I'll be the first one to admit, uh, I come from a more of an academic uh, lens through the scripture, through seminary and all that. And so oftentimes, I, I have a hard time pursuing this kind of intimacy because I'm so distracted with the knowledge and the information of the scriptures. And so this writer of Hebrew is saying, because you are no longer pursuing this knowledge, not information knowledge, but gnosis, this intimacy of knowing Christ, you remind me of an adult eating baby food. When in fact the reality is at this point you should be eating adult food. And not only should you be adult, eating adult food, at this point you should be helping others also cultivate their faith. And, and this idea of teleos to bring to completion is that this understanding to know Jesus uh, it's going to be a journey, not an end, not a means to an end, but a journey. And, and ultimately, to bring to completion, a journey to the very end of life. I mean, even Paul in Philippians, he understands this idea of teleos, to mature in Christ. It actually takes time. It actually takes intentionality. And it's going to be an endeavor that he's committed to for the rest of his life. 
In Philippians chapter 3, it says this, I want to know gnosis. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained, uh, not that I have already atta- uh, obtained this, but, for, but have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Not that I have already obtained this. I mean, I look at everyone from the scriptures, and I look at Paul. Out of anybody, if anyone have, has achieved this closeness with Christ, it's Paul. Who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who, who we read and see as a rule of life. His words have become uh, the infallible word of God. If anybody has achieved teleos, maturity, a completion of knowing Christ through intimacy, it's Paul. And yet Paul would be the first one. This isn't the only time he says this, but he would time and time again say, not that I have achieved this. And for whatever reason, oftentimes we live a life like we've achieved it. But my friends, let me tell you, That the Christian faith is not just a means to an end, to to heaven, to to be called a Christian, whatever that end is for you. But it's a journey. It's an invitation to a journey that really is about committing our lives to intimately gnosis, to intimately knowing Christ. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? And then we'll talk about what the result is from doing this. And I would say that it takes discipline. And oftentimes in the Christian world, we call this the spiritual disciplines. Just like any other way that you would get to know a person, just like any other way you would grow a relationship, there are practices that you do. Maybe you have those. Maybe intentional uh, date nights with your significant other. Maybe it's uh, group hangouts, you know, once a week. Maybe whether, or maybe it's your accountability. You meet with the mentor, uh, you know, once a month or, a ther- or whatever it is. To cultivate our relationship, to grow in our faith takes work and it takes disciplines. And, and I would say out of so many ways to do this. One book uh, that has helped me tremendously, and many of you may have heard of this, is this book by Richard Foster, and the book is Celebration of Discipline. Celebration of Discipline. And, and although there are many ways to practice spiritual disciplines, avenues and pathways to draw closer to Christ, uh, I would uh, point us to at least a good starting place would be uh, Richard Foster's book. And in this book, he has 12 practices broken up from inward practices, uh, outward practices, uh, and communal uh, corporate practices. And uh, lo and behold, that actually matches up with our grow, go, and gather. Uh, And so this morning, I'm just going to point us to uh, four of the inward disciplines, uh, because we will cover the outward and the corporate through 
this week. And last week, we actually talked about what it means to do corporately uh, grow our faith. And so this morning, uh, let me just point us and just give us four practical uh, steps towards uh, spiritual maturity. Uh, and Richard Foster would say the first one is this. The first one is just meditation. In Joshua 1.8, it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate. And not Joshua's not the only one all throughout the Old Testament. Meditate. And I know some of us were afraid of this word meditation uh, because it conjures up uh, practices from different religions or different philosophies. But, but it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. I have met somebody recently who was a a former yoga instructor. Cool dude, former yoga instructor, super limber, uh, and and good at his practice. Uh, And and he was telling me that once he became a Christian, he disengaged uh, from yoga. And the reason why, I was like, wow, I, wow, I feel terrible because I still do yoga. Uh, and in fact, I probably need to do more of it. Uh, and, but he was explaining to me, it was a great explanation. He was saying he was too entrenched, not just in the stretching and the practices of yoga, but in just the mindset and the philosophy that goes behind yoga, which is about meditation, but it's a more Eastern way to meditate. It's uh, to empty yourself, to reach this a complete, perfect space of detachment where you've detached from everything. That is the constant practice of yoga. And so I look at that and I compare that to, and I'm not saying yoga is bad. If you do yoga, great, good for you. I do it as well. But I compare at least that philosophy, that understanding, that definition of yoga or or of meditation uh, with the biblical understanding of meditation, the word that is all over the scriptures, the word that says to do it, to meditate day and night, uh, it's a little bit opposite of this Eastern way of meditation. Is It's not this idea of emptying yourself, but in fact the opposite. It's this practice of filling yourself. It's a practice of filling yourself with Christ. Reflecting on God. Remembering all throughout the Old Testament, remember what the Lord has done. The Christian idea of meditation takes it a step further from the Eastern thought because it's not about detaching, it's about attaching again to Christ. And my question is, what is it? What can you do to meditate? How do you meditate? For a lot of us, we're wired so differently. Do you have a space where you can attach yourself to Christ, to fill yourself more with Christ? The word meditate in the Hebrew, it's this word hagah. Hagah. And for those of you that need to go back into English grammar class, uh, hagah is, is an onomatopoeia. Remember that word, onomatopoeia? Uh, onomatopoeia, for those of you that need a refresher, uh, is a word that is uh, attached to something, and it's that word because it's, uh, it makes that sound. And so, for example, clap. So the word is clap. It's an onomatopoeia because we believe it makes a clap sound. Or when you jump into a pool, you make a splash. That's an onomatopoeia. 
because you, when, you, when your body hits the water, you make a splash. It makes that sound. Or a zipper, when you zip up, when you zip up a clothing item, uh, that's an onomatopoeia because you zip. It makes that zip noise. And so Haggai in the Old Testament, the Jewish understanding is an onomatopoeia. And the word meditate, Haggai, is an onomatopoeia for this definition of to chew on. And so this word Haggai, meditate, they also use it when a lion is chewing on its prey. So it's this idea of chewing. So they believe that a lion, when a lion is chewing on its prey, it's making, uh, maybe you can do this at home, making the Haggai sound. So Haggai is the sound that the lion makes. And so it's no accident that the writers all throughout the Old Testament uses the onomatopoeia word Haggai for meditate. Chew on the beauty of God. Chew on the word of God. Chew on the way that God has come through for you. And again, all throughout the Old Testament, God says, remember, 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 especially to the Jews. Remember when your God came through for you. In the time where you were being oppressed by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by all these other groups that have oppressed you, remember that God has come through. Do you have a space to hug God, to chew on the ways that God has come through, the ways that God has loved you, the way that God has never let you down, the ways that God is speaking to you? Haggai. Maybe it's in the quietness of your own home, chewing on the scriptures. Maybe it's a walk through nature, not literally chewing, but just chewing on the beauty of God's creation. Where is the place that you feel deeply and intimately connected to the divine? My friend, uh, I was went golfing. I, there was a cool golf game uh, last week, and someone said, golf is, golf is where I connect with God. You know, golf is where I can see God's beauty. Golf is relaxing. And for me, I'm like, God is where I, or golf is where I sin the most. Golf is when I use bad words. Golf is when I am so frustrated. So for me, golf isn't where I meditate. I love hiking. I love backpacking, seeing God's nature, God seeing God's beautiful creation. That is one place I Haggai. I have friends that take hiking and say, are you kidding me? That sounds so painful and a lot of work. For that person, it's not. And so the question is, where is a space where you can meditate? Being stillness in, the, in a world of so much noise, uh, of so much chaos, so many lies, uh, of so much advice, someone that always has something to say or, or uh, has a way for you to live, in, in such a way, do you have a place to meditate? Uh, last week, I had my weekly session with my therapist. Yes, I see a therapist. And I went in because I was feeling so stressed and so overwhelmed. My therapist said, have you... And she's, she doesn't even identify as a Christian, but she says, have you considered meditating? And I said, well, I know that that's what I should do, but, but I haven't. 
uh, and so she reminded me that meditation is a place that I can go to to meet with the divine in, the sp- in a world of so much noise. And she says to me uh, that there's been research and studies that have shown that meditation, mindful meditation, even for 10, 15 minutes a day, uh, is more powerful or at least just as powerful uh, as medication, particularly in patients with ADD and ADHD. Now, I'm not prescribing you medica- uh, meditation over your medication, but what I'm saying is, wow, this is how powerful the human body responds to Hagaha. That's the way God created us, to meditate, to reflect, to remember. Hagah. Secondly, prayer. Some of us is duh. Not only do we meditate, find places of Hagah to chew on God's beauty, but, but have you found time to pray? Talking to God. A lot of us say, I don't know how to pray. I don't have all these fancy words, and, and I, don't, you know, I don't know how to, how to talk to God. And, and my response would be, how do you talk to a friend? You just talk to a friend. And, and have you ever have a friend, or maybe if you don't, you probably are this friend, and, and it's this. Is, have you ever had a friend who just talked about themselves? And oftentimes it's me. I do that. Uh, but have you, do you have a friend that just talks about themselves just day in, day out? Just, it's all about that person. And again, if you don't, you might be that person. Part of praying is also listening. God, what do you have to say? God, what do you have for me? And we pray not only for ourselves, but on the behalf of others. But oftentimes prayer uh, is a a space where we can say out loud that things that we may not say to others. It's a space of confession. And, And prayer is almost to our own benefit rather than to God's. And I love what Richard Foster says actually about prayer. He says, but when we pray, genuinely pray. Remember, genuinely, not God, thank you for this food. Amen. But when we genuinely pray, pour out our hearts, the real condition of our heart is revealed. This is as it should be. This is when God truly begins to work with us. The adventure is just beginning because prayer, when we're genuinely praying, when we're pouring out our hearts, talking to God with no filter, no filter, you don't have to use big words. You don't have to use Christianese words. You don't have to we use words that are inauthentic to you. But when you truly pour out your heart, your devotion, your hurt, your pain to God, like you would a best friend, or even more because you are being genuine, God's looking down and says, okay, now I can work. Now you understand. Now you have said out loud what I already, what I already know. Secondly is fasting. I won't talk too much about fasting because I've talked about this before. But part of our spiritual growth, our devotion, our discipline is to fast, to abstain, oftentimes from food, from maybe something that distracts us. For me, that would be technology. Uh, maybe it's screen time. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's uh, the news. But ultimately, this is asking, what is distracting you? from meditating, from praying. Fast from that. Lastly, study. Reading the scriptures. And this is a bit obvious, like we want to read the Bible, we know God's word in order to know God. 
And oftentimes, uh, we see this all over the New Testament, especially when Jesus, he uses the scripture, especially his Bible of the time, the Torah, uh, to be kind of a, a weapon of a sort, uh, where there's been times uh, in the New Testament where Satan even tempts him. And what Jesus does, he recites something he memorized, uh, particularly from Deuteronomy 8, where when Satan says, well, turn this rock into bread, move away from your fast, move away from your fasting and connectedness to God, and turn this rock into bread. And Jesus responds to Satan and says, uh, a person does not live on bread and bread alone, but on the very word of God. Well, did Jesus just make that up? Well, no, Jesus was reciting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so the application would be here in study is uh, have a few verses. Mine is always uh, Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be renewed by God. That is my act of worship. Anytime I'm being tempted, anytime that I'm feeling discouraged, I go to Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be in prayer and in thanksgiving. Make your request to God. And then it says earlier, rejoice. Rejoice always. And so do you have a couple verses that you can pull out of your back pocket whenever you feel tempted to feel discouraged, dismayed, angry, resentful? What are those verses for you? And as we practice these spiritual disciplines, because we know it's important to intimately know God. So therefore, we, we study God's scripture, we fast, we meditate, we pray. And, and, I, and I would say what happens is that we receive a peace that transcends all understanding. Do you feel stressed? Do you feel overwhelmed? I really believe as we mature and seek God and grow in our faith, we know that even in these seasons of life, our maturity, our devotion, our relationship in Christ will sustain us even in the darkest and the coldest and the rainiest of season. We receive a peace that transcends all understanding. Secondly, our relationship, our maturity in Christ informs us, informs you, informs me in how you and I decide to show up. When we reflect and remember, when we pray, when we feel this connectedness with Christ, that informs us in the way we want to show up for others, in our jobs, in our schools, in our clubs, even in our churches, who do you decide to be? Who do you choose to be in those spaces of life, especially in work, in school? When there's a temptation that says, you know what, you can cheat others for upward mobility. You can gain success by lying. You'll make more money. But when we feel this connecting with, with, with Christ, we say, no, wait a minute, we look through a lens of discipleship, of maturity, and say, yes, I can gain upward mobility. Yes, I can gain more money, but doing things right, doing things with justice and integrity means more to me. 
We can cheat in school. We can cut corners in our work. But maturity will tell us that diligence and honesty is a better way to show up. We can fight with our friends. You can fight with your spouse. You can fight with your boss. But maturity will tell you that forgiveness and reconciliation is a far better way to show up. You can seek to be fueled by the praises and adorations of others, and really you do anything to achieve this, but maturity will tell you that the only voice that matters is what God says about you, and this is a far better way to show up. Our closeness and intimacy with Christ, to know gnosis with Christ, will provide us a peace that transcends all understanding, will inform us by in which we decide to show up for our families, for our friends, at our work. And lastly, it provides us, again, intimacy, true knowledge, not just information, but knowledge with Christ that sustains us. But let me just say this. Let me just sprinkle this at the top. Spiritual maturity can never be accomplished apart from community. You know, when I do go on walks with, in nature, I look at the big evergreen trees. And what's fascinating about these big trees is that they're always in these communities. And some of them are hundreds of feet in the sky. Uh, and what keeps them up and living for so long, get this, it's not that the roots uh, have this deep foundation hundreds of feet uh, into the ground. It's actually these little roots that actually connect with roots from other neighboring trees. So it's not necessarily the depth of how deep that foundation goes. It's about these roots connecting with one another. And they share nutrients they share water. They share life, essentially, with one another. And that's what keeps them up. And, and I see that reflecting even in our own faith, is that oftentimes we don't have what it takes. We just don't to stay grounded, to stay up, to be completely and utterly committed and devoted to Christ. Yet in community, we hold each other up. We help each other pursue these spiritual disciplines to grow and to mature in our faith. So that way we're not adults eating baby food, but we're actually adults eating adult food, helping like trees help one another grow in the same fashion. You know, in Genesis, it says that God created humanity in God's own likeness and image. When we see God's own likeness and image, God in God's self is relational. And in theological terms, we call this the uh, relational Trinitarianism. God, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's very, very relational. God in God's self is relational. And God created us in God's own likeness. So therefore, we have no choice but to function as relational beings. And through relationality, we grow. And you can do this in many ways. You can come to church, and that's why we gather. We talked about that last week. We meet in groups. Acts chapter 2 says they met uh, habitually in people's homes, sharing meals. 
And so we offer groups to you. In fact, Ashley talked about it. I encourage all of us to go out into the foyer and see and meet group leaders and, and just take a chance. I'm leading a group myself on Monday nights, shameless plug. But if you want to be in a group with me, I would love that. But join a group, and not just join a group, but to join a group in order to grow with one another, to be in relationship, in order to do life with one another. Because guess what? You can't do it alone. That's bad news. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. But the good news is we were created to function and grow and get life like trees from others. Maturity carries you. Maturity carries you through hard times, through chaotic times, through joyful times. Maturity keeps you grounded. We seek to grow in so many ways. We better ourselves as as students, as employees, as bosses, as husbands and wives and parents. And yet, why shouldn't we want to grow in the most most important relationship above all? in our relationship with God. And I'll leave you with this. I'm going to invite the band forward. The reality is that growth requires change and intentionality. And everybody talks about wanting change until they realize it will cost them something. Growth will cost you something. And change will always be costly. But I tell you this, but it will never be as expensive is not changing at all. Growth, pursuit, practice of disciplines will cost you something. Your time, other relationship perhaps, your energy, your sleep. It requires change. Change is costly, but not as expensive as what happens if we choose not to change at all. This is a message for you. This is a message for me. I speak to you, not because I've perfected this, because I'm in need of this. So will you join me in growing, in maturing, in leaning in our relationship with Christ to sustain us in all seasons of life? Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us and you seek a relationship with us. In fact, it says all over that you are a jealous God, not in a sinful way, but in a way that longs to be uh, in relationship with us and have our undivided attention. And yet oftentimes our attentions are divided. Forgive us for the ways that we've fallen. Give us new life. Give us a new fervor. Give us a new joy. Give us new enthusiasm to pursue after you. Because we know that our solid relationship with you keeps us grounded to experience all the winds and the waves. And we do this through and with others. We give you praise right now as we sing these songs. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.